you have your Bible, please open it to James chapter 5. James chapter 5. We're going to be looking at verses 13 through 20 today. If you are savvy enough to be keeping up with technology and social media, then you know the hashtag has become quite popular in our pop culture. It used to just be the number sign, now it's the hashtag. And it's used in social media like Twitter. It helps you identify messages on a specific topic like hashtag college football or hashtag Georgia football. And you put the hashtag in, it gives you all the different quotes, anything that comes up about that topic. And similarly, this is what James has been doing for us in his book. Similarly, James had his first century Twitter account giving us hashtags of what it means to live out our faith. Hashtag faith and trials. Hashtag faith and wisdom. Hashtag faith in life circumstances. Hashtag faith in the word. Hashtag faith in the tongue. Faith in temptations. Faith in works. Faith in humility. Faith in faithfulness. Faith in worldliness. Faith in providence. And faith in endurance. And this morning, he has one more hashtag for us before he's done. And he tells us about it in James chapter 5. Verses 13 through 20. Here is God's word. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on earth. Then he prayed again. And heaven gave rain. And the earth bore bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, someone brings him back. Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. This is God's word. Let us pray. Father, as I often pray, Lord, I need your spirit to come and move our hearts, move my heart, move my pride, my self-righteousness, the sin that still dwells in my own heart. And let me see my Father. Let the Word of God penetrate every area of our life, every corner of our life, should not be hidden from your light, from your truth. And we need your spirit to do it. 
There are just certain things that we can't checklist. There are just certain things that we don't have the power to do. And when it comes to our heart, we do not have the power to change it. So we desperately need the Spirit of God, the Spirit that lives in each of us who know Christ, to move our hearts more Godward and less away from our own selfishness, less away from our own desires, less away from what we think we need and more toward what our Father knows what we need. That's what we need the Spirit to do. And we call upon you, Spirit, to move today in this place. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. James has been giving us hashtags of what it means to live out our faith in the world, in a world that is not our own, in a world that does not embrace our faith, in a world that can even be hostile to our faith, in the world that can even misrepresent our faith. These hashtags are to show you how to live out your faith without compromising it and without abandonment of the world. That's what he's teaching us. As I said last week, you're going to need James one day here. You're going to need it. Because it shows us how to navigate through a world that's becoming less and less Christian. Less and less holding to the values that we hold to. You're going to need it. And he gives us one final hashtag to carry with us. And that's prayer and faith. And there are three insights James wants us to have when it comes to prayer. First, prayer is khaki. That's right. Prayer is khaki. Like, what in the world does that mean? I'm going to tell you. Prayer is khaki. Look at verses 13 and 14. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him call the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Prayer is khaki. Well, what do you mean by that, Alex? I'm going to tell you. Are you familiar with the mood, rain, color chart? Are you familiar with that? The mood, rain, color chart. If you're not, it's a chart that assigns different colors to emotional moods that people go through. For example, the black color means you're stressed or you're tensed. Gray means you're depressed or you're nervous. Blue-green means you're normal, you're easygoing, and you're upbeat. Now, the same thing can be done with life. Life has its own mood, color, rain chart. And here in verses 13 and 14, James is dealing with the some of the moves of life that we all experience sooner or later. He does it by asking three questions that he expects an answer of yes to. Is anyone among you suffering? Is anyone cheerful? Is anyone sick? Yes, yes, yes. Suffering, cheerfulness, sickness are moods of life. And each has a color assigned to them. Suffering has a color. Cheerfulness has a color. Sickness has a color. And we all wear them. Some of you are wearing them now. But which color are you wearing? You see, as we wear these mood colors of life, we often forget there is another color that we can wear with them, and it's prayer. That's why prayer is khaki. It goes with everything. 
It goes with all the colors of life. But do we wear it? Are you wearing it? This is what James is calling us to here in these verses. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Let him pray. He is strongly encouraging and urging you to pray about the suffering that you're going through. It's khaki. It goes with all the colors of suffering. Grief, financial, financial trouble, marital issues. If you're stuck in a never-ending cycle or brokenness or hardship or whatever, prayer goes with it. The prayers you pray for your suffering are prayers of supplication. This is you making petitions to your father about your present need, crying out to him for mercy in your suffering. James doesn't want us to live with with a defeated spirit. And a defeated spirit lives by this philosophy. I just have bad luck. It's just my luck. I can't get a break. Or my favorite one, this is how it's always going to be with me. That's a defeated spirit. Don't settle for that. Instead, you take those attitudes and, and your suffering to the Lord in prayer. It, not simply making statements or, about your suffering, but be specific with your father about what you are going through. Be transparent with him. Be honest with him about what you're dealing with. You never do that if you think God is punishing you or he's abandoning you in your suffering. He's not. He's not. You know what Jesus says about his people in John 6, 39? He says, and this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. You know he's talking about you, right? This is the will of my father who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me and I'm going to raise it up on the last day. That's you. His people, his sons, his daughters. So you're not being abandoned in your suffering. You're not alone. You're not being forsaken. You're in safe hands so you can draw with confidence to the throne of grace in your time of need. Prayers of supplication about your suffering. The question is, are you wearing it? Are you wearing prayer? Are you bringing prayer with you in all the different situations of life? Next, James says, if anyone among you is cheerful, let him sing praise. Like suffering, cheerfulness is also a mood color of life. And I hope you see what James is doing here because it protects you from living in one-sidedness. Here's what I mean. The way believers view Christian, Christian life it's often seen in the type of songs we like to sing. There's one group that thinks a Christian life is only like some old hymns or spirituals. It's only a life of suffering, only a life of weariness, only a life of gloomy days. It's only a life of stormy nights. On the other side, you have those believers who think the Christian's life is like some of the modern Christian songs we sing. It's only happiness. It's only smiles. It's only cheerfulness. You see, it's not either or, it's both and. Remember, at different points of your Christian life, you're going to wear these mood colors. This means 
At times, you will say, dear refuge of my weary soul. You will say that at different points of your Christian life. On thee, when sorrow rise, on thee, when waves of trouble roll, my fainting hope relies. To thee, I tell each rising grief, for thou alone can heal. Thy word brings sweet relief from every pain I feel. Some days you will say that song, dear refuge of my weary soul. It also means that other times you will say, I felt like shouting when I came out of the wilderness. I felt like clapping my hands when I came out of the wilderness, leaning on the Lord. You can smile because you know God will see you through and bring you to the other side. There are cheerful times and seasons in the Christian life. The Greek term for cheerful here, can, cheerful can also mean to be happy, to feel good, to be joyful. All the Christian life is not spent in the valley. There will be seasons on the mountaintop. He will bring you out of the wilderness. And most of you ever hear me say this before. The Christian life is a roller coaster. It's up and it's down. It's up and it's down. But God is still God in all of it. In all of it. David, Peter David says, turning to God in need is half the truth. Turning to God in need is half the truth. Turning to him in praise, either in the church or alone, when one is cheerful, is the other truth. You turn to God in both. Prayer is khaki. It goes with the cheerfulness as well. This is you offering prayers and songs of praise to God in the form of adoration or in thanksgiving. Adoration is you praising God for who he is, Thanksgiving is you praising God for what he has done. You do both. Adoration, thanksgiving, through prayer, through song. Finally, the mood color of life that James dresses is sickness. If anyone among you is sick, yes, some of us are sick. Some of us know someone who is sick. We all wear that color in its various shades, emotional sickness, Physical sickness, mental sickness, and prayer go with all of them. And notice what James said. He doesn't tell the person to pray for himself. He tells the person, call the elders. Why do you think that is? Because there are some sicknesses that you go through that you're just not able to pray for yourself. You're on your sick bed. You're doing enough just to eat to you alone pray. And so James says, call the elders of the church. Call the church, your shepherds. Let them pray over you and anoint you with oil. This is intercession. That's what type of prayer this is. Intercession. The elders interceding on behalf of a sick believer. And intercession is you praying over someone. It's standing in the gap for someone. That's intercessory prayer. You standing in the gap. For a fellow believer or someone you know that is struggling, someone you know you want to seek kind of faith, you say, I'm going to stand in the gap for that person through my prayer. I'm going to labor with them, pray over them, cry out to God on their behalf. The elders not only prayed over the person, but James says to anoint the person with oil. But what does that mean? It's a symbolic action representing God's healing power through the Spirit. That's what that means. 
One pastor says, by this anointing, the church's leaders set apart the sick person for special attention, even healing from God. So you have a prayer that is khaki, that it goes with all the situations that you experience in life. But do we wear it? Are you wearing it in what you're going through now? On NFL draft day, all the teams of the National Football League, they meet in what people call the war room. Uh, if you know about the NFL and draft day, you know what the war room is. In an article that I read about the war room, it says, in this room there are long tables where executives and head coaches sit with coffee mugs and diet cokes and, and sitting at tables and there are televisions, there are magnetic boards, and, and they got all these charts of players and their rankings and their character issues and their injury history and all these things all laid out in this war room. Because what takes place in this war room is very important to these teams. Best teams and worst teams are built on draft day. You see, prayer is a war room in the Christian life. And what takes place there is important for your spiritual journey. How often do you enter the war room for your soul? How often do you enter the war room for your marriage, for your kids, for your neighbor, for those who are sick? How often? Do you see prayer as my personal war room for my soul? How often? For our country. We say, all oh, our country is going down the toilet. Do you pray for it? I mean, do you get on your knees and you cry out to God for our country, for our leaders that we complain about? Do you pray for those leaders? Do we? War room. War room. That's what prayer is. Why? Because our battle is not against flesh and blood, but we think we do. It is. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil. And take a special type of weapon to fight those spiritual forces. And prayer is one of yours. It's one of yours. The war room helps equip you for the battle. And in this war room, we do wrestle with God, just like Jacob did. Supplication, praise, intercession. And there are several war rooms, prayer war rooms here in our community. Lincoln Academy got a beautiful one. You can go up there and pray. Starting next month, we're going to have this sanctuary return to a war room every third Wednesday of the month. And every Sunday morning, your officers meet in a war room to pray for you in this community. We ask you to join us. Make your home a war room for prayer where you go in and do business with God. Praying, crying out for him to move. Prayer makes a difference. It makes a difference. It's just not khaki. It's powerful. It's powerful. But do we really believe it? Do we really believe prayer makes a difference? in our society in which we are capable of doing things ourselves because we're American. But do we believe prayer makes a difference? It does. It's powerful. Verse 15 and 17. And the prayer of the faith, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sin, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. 
the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is as it is working prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working what does that mean what does it mean the literal translation of this verse says much power is the prayer of a righteous person as it is working. There are two things taking place in this verse. I see two elements being brought out in this verse. The divine element and the human element. And on a theological level, there's the sovereignty of God and man's responsibility. Taking place in this one verse. This phrase, as it is working, deals with the effectiveness of prayer. What makes prayer work? What makes prayer powerful? What makes prayer effective? This is dealing with the divine element. You see, prayer does not make it itself effective. Human beings do not make prayer work. Prayer's effectiveness depends completely on the deeds he prayed to. If I pray to Buddha, is that prayer powerful? Effective? All those folks that pray to idols, they pray hard, they pray all night long, concerts of prayer, but are those prayers heard? So are they powerful and effective? No. The deity prayed to determines the effectiveness of prayer. Who you pray to makes a difference. We pray to who? Yahweh Elohim. The covenant-keeping God. And he hears the prayers of his people. But do you believe it? Our Father, who art in heaven. That's our God. He's personal. He's holy. He's imminent. He's transcendent. And we call him Father. And he hears your prayers. He is the one true living God. He makes it effective. And what about the human element? This is seen in this phrase, much power is the prayer of a righteous person. This phrase is talking about prayer power. The righteous person has prayer power, according to James. Power here means to be strong, to be competent, to be sound in health. Prayer power is strong, persistent, competent prayer that is biblically sound and proper in use. That's prayer power. My seminary professor, Douglas Kelly, says, prayer power requires maturity. Maturity. The righteous, righteous person in this verse is referring to a believer, believer who is maturing in his faith. And maturity in the faith is a sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit who is making you more like Christ in every area of your life. That's maturity. Even in your prayer life. James 11, 41 and 42 says, this is Jesus speaking, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. Notice what Jesus is saying. That he knew and expected the Father to hear his prayers. And prayer power is you knowing and expecting the same. When you bow your head, do you know and expect the Father to hear you? And do you pray as such? Do you? Prayer power is also you being honest with your father. In Luke 22, Jesus says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. 
Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Prayer power is you've been honest with the Father about what you're going through. Like Jesus. Was he honest with the Father? Take this cup from me. But nevertheless, your will be done, not mine. You're praying, but you're also praying for his will to be done in your life and not your own. That's praying with power. That requires maturity. Prayer power is prayer that is rightly directed toward God in an attitude of humility. Humility. You see, prayer is is not supposed to be a display of your reputation, of your righteousness, or your glory. But it's your humility before the Father, your dependency upon him. Prayer is not a campaign sign for self-promotion. It's the white, white flag of surrender. The white flag of surrender. And do you wave it? I surrender, God. I surrender. All of it. My being, my money, my family, my safety, my comforts. I surrender it to you. And every time you wave that flag, you are surrendering the well-being and care of your life to Jesus. Who has safe hands. But do you believe it? R.T. Frank says, the essence of prayer is the communion of the disciple with his father. I love that. The essence of prayer is the communion of the disciple with his father. When was the last time you communed with your father through prayer? When was the last time that happened? When was the last time it wasn't just going through the motions? When was the last time it wasn't just for show? When was the last time you communed with the Father in prayer? That's the essence of it. Are you communing? Are you surrendering? In the old Batman TV show, this is for Lyle who's not here, um, Batman always had a direct line to the commissioner's office. And if you know the show, you know it was the classic red phone. No one else had a red phone to the commissioner's office, only Batman. You see, many times we think Christians who are considered superheroes of the faith have that same red line that we don't have. Only certain believers have that direct line to God that's not offered to the rest of us. That superhero Christian, they get the red phone, where the rest of us, then we just have to set up an appointment with God. For example, the prophet Elijah. Would he be considered a superhero of the faith? Would he? Yes. Would he be the one you say, well, I think he had a red phone. I mean, come on. Look at what he did. Look at what he did on Mount Carmel for crying out loud. I know he had a red phone. And yet James says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Yet Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, which means he was no superhero. He was a regular person like you. As one commentator says, he was an ordinary person, just like anybody else, who had to cope with fear, periods of depression, and physical limitations. And yet he had prayer power. Why? Because he prayed to Yahweh Elohim, not because of himself. Yahweh made his prayers effective. He didn't. He had a maturing faith. 
that Yahweh heard him. And all those so-called pastors and, and Christians you worship are just like you. No different than you. They don't have access to God that you don't have. They're not in first class and you're in second class. We're all in the same class. We're all on the same level. We all have red phones. All of us. You have a direct line to the Father's ear. But do you use it? You got to know when you ring and call, he's on the other end. Listening to you. Asking you to trust him. Prayer is powerful. Prayer is khaki. And finally, prayer is proactive. Verse 20. Verse 19. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, someone brings him back. Let him know whoever brings back a sinner from wandering will save his soul from death and recover a multitude of sins. Then also, um, verse 12. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no so that you will not fall under condemnation. At first glance, verse, 20, verse 12 appears to be out of place, but it's not. It goes with what James is saying about prayer here, being proactive. For example, all of us in this room have said these words, I'll pray about it. But not all of us have meant it. I'll pray about it. I'll pray about it. But did you really pray? That's not your yes being yes and your no being no, is it? No, it's not. We all are guilty of saying our prayer about it, but when we leave that conversation with that person, we never prayed about it. I've been convicted by that this week, and I repented of it because I've said it plenty of times. I pray about it but never did. And we all have made oaths to people saying we'll pray about something for them, and we never do. Ebony had great insight on this quote, this phrase, and I got her permission to use what she said. She says, let this phrase, I'll pray about it, let it neither be a cliche to throw around to buy extra time or a nice yet deceitful way to say no. Don't let this phrase either be a cliche you throw around to buy extra time nor a nice yet deceitful way to say, I'm not going to pray for you. I just saying that because that's a Christian thing to say. But if you say it, let those words be an honest declaration that you will seek counsel from Yahweh. In other words, in what you say to people about prayer, that your yes be yes, your no be no. If you ain't going to pray for them, don't tell them. Don't say it. But if you are, pray about it. Be proactive. Go to your war room and pray about what you say you're going to pray about. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. This also means at times your intercessory prayer returns to intervention in the lives of fellow believers. Verse, this is what verses 12, 20 through 19 through 20 is talking about. Because sometimes you, we can hide behind intercessory prayer because we don't want to get intervened in people's life. We say, well, that's none of my business. But I'm just going to pray about it. I'll pray for them, but you know, I'm not intervening. I'm not touching that. That's not what James says. That's not what he says. If anyone among you wanders from the truth, truth, someone bring him back. Someone should bring him back. What is that saying? That says 
at times you're going to have to have an intervention into someone's life, into someone's marriage, into someone's parenting, into someone's family, if they want it from the truth. I have a group of pastors that I meet with. And if I wander from the truth, I expect each and every one of them to come after me. I expect it. Because if they don't, that means they don't love me. If you let a brother and sister wander from the truth, and you say it's none of my business, you don't love that person. You don't love them at all. If you know a, a Christian family that has problems, a marriage that has problems, and you refuse to intervene, you don't love them. You don't love them. But James says, if you see them wondering, you should go after them. You should go after them. In college, it was, I mean, it was five of us that were good friends in college. We all were involved with campus outreach together. We all lived together at some point. And we all ended up living in Greenville, South Carolina together. That's kind of crazy. But we had one of us, one of our friends, he wandered. He wandered. He left Valdosta, went to Savannah, Georgia, and just went off the radar. And we were praying for him. And then one day we said, you know what? We're going to Savannah, and we're going to get him. All of us drove to Savannah, Georgia, to him and challenged him. Brother, what you're doing is not right. What you're doing is sin. We come down here because we love you. I mean, we were hard on him, but we went there because we loved him. That's what, that's what it means to intervene. You don't let brothers and sisters wander from the truth without going after them. Who is it in your life? Who do you need to do business with this week because you love them? We all have someone, but do you love them enough to go after them? The Bible says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Faithful are the wounds of of a friend. Intervening hurts, but it does not harm them. It's good for them. But we speak the truth in love. Don't forget, someone intervened for you. Look at it. Someone intervened for you, right? Someone intervened in your life. In his intervention, it calls him his life. Think about that. His intervention for you caused him his life. Have you ever thought about that? Because remember, before we came to Christ, it wasn't like we were looking for Christ. He came after you. He chased you down. Pulled you out of your junk. Pulled you out of your sin. Intervening on your behalf while you're still trying to run away. He says, that's my child. That's my daughter. And I take the punishment for them. And this table is a reminder of his sacrificial intervention. And I love it. His sacrificial intervention is khaki. You know why? It covers all types of sins. All types of sins. I don't care what color it is. His sacrifice covers it. Covers it. Do you believe it? His sacrifice is powerful. Why? Because it frees you from the power of sin in its dominion. That's powerful. And not only that, he gives you his righteousness. Oh, 
Do you believe it? His sacrifice is proactive. You know why? Because he still intercedes on your behalf. You know that? Jesus Christ still intercedes on your behalf if you know him. If you know him. And so this table is for all baptized Christians. This table is for those who actually trust in Christ for their salvation, who are willing to confess and repent of their sins, and who are members of a congregation that proclaim the gospel. This table is for you, for your own spiritual nourishment. Now, if you don't know Christ, we consider it an honor to have you here, and there are prayers printed on the back of your bulletin. We ask you to meditate on those prayers, to also observe what we're doing. And if you have questions of what it means to have saving faith in Christ, come see me. Come see one of the elders. Come see one of the staff. And we will share with you of how you can come to saving faith in Christ if the Spirit is tugging at your heart. Now, parents, those of you that have kids with you, uh, we ask that you don't let them take the elements until they have made a profession of faith and been baptized and have been admitted to the Lord's table by the church that you attend. Now, we leave this to the oversight of the parents. Now, kids, our kids, if you're not, have, are not receiving communion right now, I want you to watch this, what we do here, because this is a reminder for what Jesus has done for you. I hope you understand that, that this is a reminder of his sacrifice for your life. And our prayer for each of our little babies is that one day you will come to saving faith in him. And when you do, you get to join us in this communion meal, which will be an awesome day, and we will celebrate it. So watch and observe. Now I want to take a moment to ask the Spirit to prepare our hearts to receive the Lord's Supper.